One woman told me about someone trying to set her hijab on fire. Oh, well, if women were in charge, then we wouldn't um, have so many wars. Young men are, like, routinely excluded from civilian death counts. They are the most vulnerable to recruitment, but when they arrive at the border, they are the most threatening category of migrant to arrive. I, as a human being, will not stand for this type of behaviour. Hey, my name is Andrea T. Sevenson, and welcome back to Peace and Gender. In this podcast, I am trying to highlight the issues surrounding gendered inequalities. I'm doing this by meeting the people who are actually seeking solutions, trying to get to know both their research and their personal story. These topics may not meet the mainstream media agenda, but they are issues that really deserve attention. You have women who could have lived had they had access to health. So today I'm going to talk to Dr. Maria Tanyag about the issues around women's sexual health. Maria is a feminist researcher, and she has a PhD in politics and international relations. But first, why did Maria start looking into this issue? Growing up in the Philippines, I was specifically motivated to do further research because of the what I was then observing as gender-specific barriers to women's health. We have among the strictest um, laws around abortion, access to contraception. For me, growing up, um, especially as I was also developing as a uh, as a person and as a woman, I was seeing these and noticing these um, inequalities more because it's very personal. And as most feminists would say, the personal is political. And when I was starting to observe all these inequalities that women distinctly faced, um, I was prompted to understand, you know, what are the reasons why these barriers are there in place? Despite how far she thought we'd come when it came to gender and equality, Maria started seeing all these inequalities when it came to women and sexuality. While there is a global push to promote gender equality, and we've made significant progress already, we are still yet to understand why many women and girls die from pregnancy-related complications. Why, despite a broad support and understanding that gender equality matters, we are still seeing the prevalence of, for most parts preventable maternal deaths in many societies. That to me is a fundamental inequality and it's a paradox that we can see a lot of women in many societies, sometimes within the same society, progressing and yet you have women who could have lived had they had access to health care, reliable health information around their own bodies. And that is for me a, a global problem that needs urgent attention because if we have if we do not bridge that health gap we are seeing a lot of progress being built on the invisible debts and sacrifices of women especially those in crisis settings who are enduring a lot of these specific violence because of all these broader politics and inequalities that prevent them from accessing health and this is what maria started researching there's a lot of talk about inclusive post-disaster recovery, inclusive peace building, and all, all, the, all of these things are important and they matter. But for me, the question is why in all of these things, the hierarchy 
always put women's health as at the bottom. And there seems to be a deliberate neglect or, or, or forgetting that for women to be able to fully participate in political and economic decision-making, they must also, in the first place, be able to have control and decision-making over their own bodies. And so my research have really shown that women and girls, through dominant peace and security development agendas, are being made responsible as well in post-disaster and post-conflict recovery and rehabilitation but it is being built on their invisible sacrifices because we're not recognizing the contributions that they are making. And one evidence of that lack of recognition is the lack of support towards sexual and reproductive health, which is so fundamental. Even in Australia, if you have gotten an abortion in New South Wales or Queensland, you may actually risk criminal charges. Why is there... Up until now, and Australia has got a feminist foreign policy or is moving towards, um, you know, being known for having a feminist foreign policy too. But internally, domestically, there are a lot of uh, ongoing debates around abortion rights in Australia. So, again, that's there's a disconnect between, okay, we want women to pursue and, and rise up to the challenge of of governance, political governance. But in everyday life, many women face restrictions to reproductive um, decision-making. And, and, and that's something that I'm very interested in understanding. Why is there such a, a disconnect? And what does that mean for how we are progressing um, for gender equality more broadly? So although we've come a long way today when it comes to gender equality, some inequalities have been overlooked or forgotten, especially in crisis areas. And Philippines, again, is a very interesting case because we have got a lot of very good gender equality laws. In fact, we have been a regional leader in terms of of promoting gender equality in, in security and development agendas. And we have got a lot of um, very strong, prominent women in politics as well. But we need to make sure that that is equalized, especially for those in situations of crises, in times of disasters and conflicts, that we are not forgetting that there are gender-specific inequalities that they fa- that women and girls face, and it's rooted to unequal access to health. Maria has been looking at women in areas of conflict and in areas of crisis. And she says that these two are interconnected. You know, in the Philippines, violence is seasonal and disasters are violent. So there's, you know, an interesting overlap that showed me some surprising findings that conflicts are shaped by weather patterns They are influenced by resource shortages. They are influenced. Conflicts erupt um, intermittently depending on when an election is supposed to occur because it's about control over power and resources. And so people know the likelihood of when a conflict will erupt and when it won't. It's kind of like an early warning system 
which normally we understand for weather patterns, but they were understanding it in the context of conflicts. Similarly, in the case of disasters, people, especially in, again, the Philippines, a very disaster-prone area, country, in a disaster-prone region, they were saying that disasters are increasingly violent. Many forms of violence, whether physical or structural violence, are experienced in times of disasters. So for them, disasters are equally violent. And there are specific conflicts that are triggered by disasters. For instance, when there are shortages in the distribution of relief assistance, communities tend to have infighting among themselves because of jealousy and rivalry and and, and status hierarchies, depending on who has access to what resources um, as part of disaster relief. When Maria did her PhD in the Philippines, she heard all these stories from women experiencing inequality in post-disaster and conflict areas. For me, what really struck me was stories of women giving birth in internal displacement camp. And one anecdote of a woman that described herself as, it's very um, gruesome, but she described herself as a pig or cattle where she was giving birth and because it was in a cramped space, other people were watching her give birth like a show and, and just and like, a, uh, like an exhibit and for her, that made it more traumatic than the conflict itself that displays her because it dehumanized her. Pregnancies for most people is a special moment and giving birth is a special moment, maybe between, you know, spouses or, or couples and, and celebrated by families. But in conditions where it's inhumane and unsafe, giving birth, contributes to a loss of dignity and can actually heighten the risk of death. And these are deaths that can occur long after a conflict has erupted or even after a disaster has happened. And for me, what was really, in a way, heartbreaking but motivates the kind of work that we do is understanding you know, these women and communities have survived disaster and have survived conflict, but they end up dying because of protracted displacement. And isn't that something that is really unjust, especially if it could have been prevented? And if we can be better at doing humanitarian or security responses? There are many feminist movements happening, but some of these movements can actually be counterproductive to gender equality. We need to be able to create distinctions between women's movements that are feminist, meaning that they are interested in promoting women's rights, and women's groups or women's movements that might be expressing their mobilization, their rhetoric, and their campaign in the language of women's rights, but are actually counterproductive to feminist goals. I'm talking specifically about conservative elite women who are interested in maintaining 
or tying women's identities to motherhood, for instance, that a woman's worth and function in society is to be the ideal mother. And these same groups of conservative women also perpetrate violence against sexual minorities by virtue of their influence on policy. When we try and understand the global politics of sexual and reproductive health, we must be conscious that there are also women themselves who do not support broader rights for certain groups of women. Maria is one of those people out there who has seen an injustice, seen an issue, and now she's seeking a solution. She has put her words and her research into action. Um, in 2016, I presented evidence from my research to the Commission on Human Rights in the Philippines to um, emphasize you know, the kind of experiences and human rights violations occurring in internal displacement um, when the state or the government fails to progressively ensure sexual and reproductive health in internal displacements. Um, and that is now an ongoing process. There's a Human Rights Committee inquiry on the Philippines to ensure that what is happening in crisis situations, the barriers that are in place there, are understood as a broader or structural problem around in unequal access to health in the Philippines. And in fact, the neglect of that feeds into the invisibility of sexual and gender-based violence that are occurring in times of crises. And then when you neglect the or render invisible the violence that women distinctly experience in times of crises, you also indirectly prevent broader groups of women from participating and equally benefiting from what happens after conflict and after disasters. That was Maria Tanyag. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Peace and Gender. My name is Andrea Evanson, and this podcast was produced for Monash Gender, Peace and Security and Mojo News.